Well, you know, thirst is a real gift from God. God has created our bodies to thirst when we need water. And they'll tell us when we've had enough and when we need more. And it really is a gift that God has given to us. Because some think about it, it, we'd probably forget to drink enough if we didn't get thirsty, right? And so our bodies would be deprived. Uh, but as in all areas of the way we are created, and this is another example of how we we're fearfully and wonderfully made, um, they, the body is designed to adapt to different circumstances. And there are um, times where we are in very difficult times and, and circumstances where the body needs to function differently. And so here's the thing about thirst. If you ignore it for a period of time, it goes away. You know that? Because the body assumes that it's in a place where water is scarce and it goes into a mode of conserving water. Uh, it's, it's what is called neural adaptation. Our bodies do this in a lot of different areas where something, you know, we just kind of change to adapt. Think about smell, for example. I don't, I don't know. I still to this day don't know what it was. But about, I don't know, six weeks ago or so, I came into the office. The whole office in there smelled terrible. Then I went back into my office, and it smelled worse. It was reeking through the whole building. It was terrible. The only thing I could think of, my first thought was, Colin probably got one of Graham's dirty diapers and hid it somewhere in my office. But I never found it, if that was it. So uh, I don't think that was it. But here's an amazing thing that happened. Even though the smell lasted for a couple days, after I was in there for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, then it's, you don't notice it so much anymore. You had that happen before, right? Or, or maybe you've gotten in a hot tub where it's really, really hot, and you're getting, ah, it's scalding almost. And then after about a minute, you're like, oh, this actually feels good. Dude, we, we learn to adapt. Same thing is true with thirst. If you don't drink, your body will assume water's not available and it will stop, the brain will stop sending the thirst signal. And you can function with much less water than you actually need. Now, there are some side effects to that because water helps flush our system and get things out and uh, keeps us from creating you know, stones and different things like that. They can be very painful, and many of you have experienced that. So we need to hydrate, but we can survive with less than we actually need. You know, the same thing is true spiritually. We can survive with a whole lot less of God's presence than we really need. And when we stop drinking, we stop getting that thirst. That signal doesn't come through as clearly anymore, and we just kind of learn to function, but not really thrive. Today, we are in Psalm 63, and we're going to talk about this passage that encourages us to thirst for God. And what a great time at the beginning of a new year to just really evaluate. I want, I want to encourage you as we read this, just ask, is this me? Does this sound like something that I could say? Am I thirsting for God like we see described in Psalm 63? Let's begin it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you, uh, on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. 
my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I want you to notice the way David just begins this song. It says, you are, O oh God, you are my God. Before he goes on and says, earnestly I seek you and I thirst for you and all that, he starts by reiterating that truth, God, you are my God. And I want to start there. I don't want us to take that for granted. Because before we can really talk about thirsting for God, we have to answer the question, is God really my God? Have I truly established a relationship with God where I can say that? And keep in mind, David wrote this in a time where people worshiped all kinds of gods. So all the nations around them, they all had their different kinds of gods. That's not so much the case in our culture. I mean, there are some religions, Hinduism, for example, that worships multiple gods. But most of the religions would not worship multiple different gods And yet it's still very true all at the same time because whether we label it as that or not, we we have all kinds of gods that we worship. I mean, really anything that we exalt, anything that we chase after that's priority in our life becomes a god. I mean, we worship the god of success. We worship the god of material things. We worship the god of fame, the god of comfort, the god of sex, the god of whatever. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? We have all kinds of false gods that we worship, but... We have to identify who is our God and is the one true God our God. See, God is who he is, whether we acknowledge him or not. It's not that he changes, but it's that we, in order for for us to be able to honestly say, God, you are my God, then we have to bring ourselves into submission underneath him. And we have to say, I'm trusting in you as my God. The only way to do that, I mean, we had communion earlier in the service and we remembered the body and the blood of Jesus. The only way that that happens is because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Jesus gave his life to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could say, God, you are my God. I belong to you. And if you don't know that for sure, I just want to ask you right now, right where you are, to just pause and say, God, I need you to be my God. I need to put my trust in you. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again, and I want to give my heart to you right now. That's where it starts. God, you are my God. But then after that, he goes on, and he talks about what does it look like once you know that God is your God, what does it look like to thirst for God? And verse 1 says, earnestly I seek you. Some translations say early I seek. It's the idea of first priority. It could be early in the morning. It could just be with all the passion that you have. But you're earnestly seeking God. And I want to point out the context of of when this was written. If you look um, usually at the very top of the Psalms, it'll give you some type of summary. This is what mine says at the um, beginning of chapter 63. It identifies it as a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, there are a couple of options of what that could mean. It's possible that this is referring to the time when Absalom, his son, tried to take over his kingdom and David was on the run for a period of time. But it's most likely that it refers to the time before David actually ascended to the throne. He had already been anointed as the next king, but Saul was chasing him down. He's he's hiding in the wilderness, going from place to place. Saul is out with his men, hunting him like a wild animal, trying to kill David. And during that season, 
when he's on the run and when his life is in danger, he's still saying the things that he's saying. God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. This dry and weary land is what he saw all around him at that point in time. But he said, my soul longs for you. Just the way I, I need water, my soul is, is thirsting for you. And I just want to ask a couple of questions today, really. Self-evaluation kind of questions that I encourage you not to glance over too quickly, but just to ask yourself this question. Could you say the same thing that David is saying in these verses? Can you honestly say, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water? Can you say that with integrity to God? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. None of us have arrived. But I'm saying, can you honestly say, God, I am thirsting for you. I am desiring you. And if the answer is no, my, my prayer is that God will change our hearts today. And God will give us that thirst, that desire for him, that longing for him that we see David experiencing here. Because far too many of us, even though we know Jesus, even though we belong to him, we've trusted in him, we don't really thirst for him the way that we should. We don't long to know him with the level of passion and, and just drive that we see being described in Psalm 63. The concern is that, you know, if we ignore the thirst, it kind of starts to go away. But the flip side of that is true as well. There are things that we can do to actually increase our thirst for God. Just as we can, there are things you can do to increase your physical thirst. Go outside in July in Texas, and it doesn't take long to get more thirsty, right? Or exercise. You're working out hard. Your, your body begins to send signals. You're losing hydration. You need to drink. Or uh, eat some really spicy food, and all of a sudden your thirst you know, kicks up pretty good. There are things that we can do that increase our thirst. Some of them are healthy. Some of them maybe aren't so healthy. But when it comes to, to us thirsting for God, I believe there's some things laid out in this passage that will help us to thirst for God more. Starting with verse 2. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Here's the first thing that will help us thirst for God more, and that's behold God's power and glory. Now that can take a lot of different forms. We'll come back to the one in a minute that David mentioned specifically here. But think about different ways that we can behold the power and glory of God. And the idea here is this is something where we are. I heard a great message about a year and a half ago at the Watermark Church Leadership Conference. They were talking about the difference between uh, glancing at Jesus and gazing at Jesus. So it was a great, very convicting message. I, I think I can be guilty sometimes of kind of glancing at Jesus. You know, I, I know that I love him and, and he's priority and all that, but not taking the time to really stop and gaze at Jesus, to behold his glory and his power. You know, I, I've been following Christ for a long time now. I've loved him for a long time now. It's easy to kind of think, you know, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Not anything majorly wrong, you know, way off, kilter, and so I must be doing okay. And that's not at all true, is it? No matter how long we know him, have known him, no matter what we you know, we need more of God. We need the thirst for God more. It's kind of like, you know, Sean, I've been married over 30 years now. But I would be a fool not to appreciate who she is, not to, to gaze rather than just glancing at her. Something is lost in a relationship 
when we begin to just kind of take that for granted. And that certainly is true in our relationship with God. If we're not truly spending time, you know, if we're not really taking in who God is, and the best way to do that is through Scripture. I mean, I read passages like Psalm 63, and it's like, man, this, this isn't challenging. It's encouraging. That's why we're, we keep pushing, you know, be involved in a reading plan, you know, get some way of getting into Scripture together. That's so important. But then there are other ways that we can behold God's power and His glory, and it might look different for each of us. For me, I, I, I feel like I take in God's power and glory best when I'm in the beauty of nature, whether that's on a walk somewhere in the mountains or whatever it is. For some, it might be uh, through the arts that you feel like you're able to really take in the power and glory of God. Or maybe it's through serving the homeless. Or maybe it's through a particular ritual or, or some kind of symbol that is meaningful to you or whatever it may be. But figure out different ways that you can really gaze at him. You know, just take in his power and his glory. But the, the one specific way that David mentions in verse 2, he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. There's something to be said for the place where we can gather to worship God. And as important as it is to do this individually, it's also important that we do this corporately. So doing what we do now is an important part of helping us to maintain that thirst or to, to have a deeper thirst for God. And we want to provide that that opportunity every time we come together. And I, I'm confident of this. This is why I'm always encouraging you when we come together, come with your heart ready to worship. You know, don't just... Like, come to church, and, but come prayed up and, and just ready to meet with God and expecting to meet with God so that you can really take in who God is. And when you do that, I'm really confident that Aaron and the rest of our worship team are going to lead you into God's presence. And I'm confident that we're going to get into God's word together in a way that God is going to speak to our hearts. But that happens as we prepare our hearts and as we come ready to meet with him. And that's why, too, uh, that's why we're doing the Thirst Conference. We've been talking about this for a long time now. But it's an opportunity to spend extended time taking in the power and the glory of God. That's the point. And I really, really want to encourage you guys, make that a priority to do that. Uh, two weeks from today is a Sunday morning that will kick off, and then we'll go Sunday through Wednesday evenings as well. Listen, I, I'm not trying to add something else to your calendar. But I know the power of spending dedicated time being in the presence of God and being led well, which will happen as we do that. And, and speaking of that, let me just mention one thing real quick here because we're two weeks out. Um, and we've had a few people step up after the first service. But moving into the day today, we had about 15 people that don't have homes yet to stay in and about 10 vehicles that we needed. Some of that is starting to fill up. But I'm just going to tell you, we, we still need some help there. So if you want an extra blessing of having some of these young adults in your home uh, and helping us out with that, that would be fantastic. We have a vehicle they could use while they're here. Um, we'd love to get you plugged in in that way. And Tom can help you a lot more with that. But I, I'm just excited about the opportunity to be able to, to have dedicated time to focus on God is and just take it in. And when we do that, look at what happens, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. See, the result of this is we praise God. We worship God with abandon. We experience the steadfast love, and that's the result of it. It's what naturally flows out of that. And so a great self-evaluation for us is to ask, is this what I see in my life? I mean, do I see myself praising God? Do I see myself blessing him, worshiping him with abandon? 
that would be an indication that we are thirsting for God the way that we need to. And I just want to encourage you to be intentional about that. Um, and, and part of that is be intentional about plugging into a local body of Christ if you're not already. I know many of you are. But if you're not already plugged in somewhere, whether it's here or somewhere else, get plugged in because that does help us corporately together to be able to, to thirst for God together. But then there's a second thing uh, that I see here, and that is I want to encourage us all to proactively remember what God has done. I'll explain what I mean by that word proactively, but proactively remember what God has done. Verse 5 says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Again, good question. Can you say that? Is your soul satisfied? My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when? When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. See, he's saying that during these times, I am making a point to remember you, to meditate upon you. Have you ever had somebody say to you, do you remember when whatever? Fill in the blank. Do you remember when we went on that vacation together? And you start going down this path. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did this and we did that. Oh, remember when this happened? And you ever done something like that and you're having that conversation and there was a memory that was buried beneath the surface. But as you're talking about it, it gets unearthed and it comes back up. You're like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. I forgot that I remembered that, right? That proactive remembering, taking yourself down that path and say, Let's, let me think proactively about God's faithfulness, about what God has done in my life. And it's amazing how many memories kind of get buried and we can bring them back up simply by making a point to remember. I wonder what that looked like for David. I mean, think about all the things that he had to remember. And I suspect, especially when he was on the run from Saul, he had to go back and reflect on God's choosing of him and anointing of him. It's described in 1 Samuel 16, uh, Samuel had come to anoint one of Jesse's sons, but he didn't know which one, and none of them fit the bill. God said no to all of them. And then it says this, 1 Samuel 16, 11, and 12. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I, I suspect David thought back on that many times. Oh, God picked me. I was just a shepherd. I was out in the field. They didn't even think I was one of the options. And God selected me. God chose me. Or did he think back to when he described how God rescued him from the lion and the bear? With his bare hands, he was able to kill these, these ferocious animals. Or how many times must he have thought back to Goliath, you know, fighting the nine-foot giant with nothing more than a sling and a stone. And just remembering God's faithfulness, he proactively remembered what God had done. And a crazy thing happens. The more we think about those that we love... And the more we remember them, the more we want to be with them, right? It creates greater thirst in us. Maybe think about the summer of 1991. I spent a summer as an uh, intern in a student ministry in Melbourne, Florida. So I got to hang out with amazing teenagers like y'all, and it was awesome. And I invested a lot in teenagers that summer, and I invested a lot in beach volleyball that summer. Those were kind of the two things, and it was great. Everything was perfect except for one thing. And that is uh, just a few months before leaving for the summer, Sean and I had started dating, and she was in Houston and I was in Melbourne, Florida, and they're a long way apart from one another. 
And we didn't have cell phones and all that back then. I know that's hard to fathom, but so we didn't communicate as much. But I thought about her all the time. And the more I thought about her and I remembered back and I reflected back on the special memories we had together, things we had done together, and the more I wanted to be with her. Right? That, that's what happens when you think about those that you love. You want to be with them more. This is what David is doing. And by the way, did you notice when he's doing it? I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. The watches, I was talking about the middle of the night. This is, you know, 2, 3 a.m. kind of stuff. Anybody have trouble sleeping? Anybody wake up in the middle of the night and your mind's going? Really practical here. He says, I meditate on God during those times. And he was just forcing himself to remember God's faithfulness um, as he looked back on all that he had done. I'd encourage you proactively remember. And especially if you wake up in the middle of the night, proactively remember uh, what God has done. And you know, one of the things it'll do is it'll kind of protect our minds from going down a path that doesn't need to go down. You ever had a situation where someone said or did something that really hurt you and you assume that they had done it on purpose? You assume that they were you know, being mean about it or they were somehow trying to hurt you. And the more you think about that, the more your mind kind of goes down this path and you get angrier and angrier and you get more and more convinced that they are a horrible person and how could they do that to you? And then you have a conversation with them and you realize, oh, that's, that was totally not intended. You know? and, and after you have the conversation, have you ever gone back and you thought, you know what, that's not this person's character. Why would I assume that about them? One of the things that, that meditating on and remembering the faithfulness of God is it helps us remember his character because, again, David's on the run. He's in a rough spot in his life. It would have been really easy for his mind to go down that path of, God, why have you abandoned me? But when you're thinking about God's faithfulness and you're remembering what God has done, it kind of protects us against that a little bit. keeps our mind from going down the wrong path, being proactive about remembering. And then, you know, verse 7, you've been my help, remembering that. And then look at the result, verse 8, my soul clings to you. I love that phrase. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Kind of picture of a little kid that's kind of wrapped around the parent's legs, right? Cling, not letting go. My soul is clinging to God like that. Again, can you say that? Is your soul just clinging to God because you're thirsting for him so deeply? Well, let's talk about one more thing that will help us to thirst for God. Verse 9 describes the situation that David was in. It says, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. Um, and, And then it says, they'll be given over to the power of the sword, But verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. So look, there are people that are are falsely coming after me that are trying to kill me, but God's going to take care of that. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to let God handle that. But as for me, I'm going to focus on rejoicing in God. So here's the last application is focus on God, not your problems. Now, David didn't ignore the problem. I mean, when you're on the run and you're in the wilderness and people are trying to kill you, that's a problem. And he's constantly having to relocate and find out, you know, where Saul and his men are. And he's moving around. It's physically exhausting. It's spiritually exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. I mean, this is a really hard time in David's life. But he didn't lose his focus. How many times have you been in a place, and I've been in a place where you're going through something really hard, and everything, all you can do is focus on the problem, right? You ever been there? It's like I can't stop thinking about the problem. I'm just so fixated on the issue at hand. And yet what 
David says here is, no, I'm going to focus on God. Verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. He, He wasn't even king yet, but he knew how the king should respond, and it's the same way all of us should respond. Not focus on the problem, focus on God. And that allowed him to respond the way he did. 1 Samuel 24, because he's hiding in a cave with his men when Saul came into the cave to get some relief. 1 Samuel 24, 4 says, The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They're telling David, kill him. God has delivered him to you. They even use scripture to bag it up. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He didn't kill him. He didn't take his problem into his own hands. Man, how many times do I just try to solve my own problems, right? Like, I've got to fix this because I'm so focused on the problem, not on God. But he said, no, what, what we should do is rejoice in God. Let God take care of the problems, and we keep our focus on him. Another simple but I think powerful question. What are you focusing on more, your problem or God? It's one or the other. I would encourage you to focus on God and not your problem. Because the more we, we, we focus on the issues, the more distracted we get and the more problem we begin to have. I want to close with a little story um, from last summer. And I shared a little bit of this before in a different context uh, different application, but last summer I had the the privilege of being able to spend a little time away. I took a couple months on sabbatical, and the point was really just to be with God and get spiritually refreshed and focus on some things for our church as well, but a big part of that for me was just having some time away to be with God and just commune with God, so I spent a week in Colorado by myself, and um, while I was there, I used this little guy a lot. Uh, this is my, my nice little, very um, expensive Walmart backpack that, that I took with me while I was hiking. And I got it because it's got the, you know, the cool little water thing here. So, yeah, there's a little bit of something in there. I don't know how long it's been in there. That might not have been a good idea. But So I, I filled this, fill this up with water. It's, it's clean water. It's okay. Clean water doesn't go bad, right? So... It hadn't been that long, y'all, since I've used it. Um, so fill this up with water, saying I would, and I'd go out for a hike first couple days, you know, just kind of minimal, not doing a whole lot, um, getting used to the to the um, elevation, and you know, kind of building up some endurance. So that's Monday, that's Tuesday, then Wednesday comes along. I'm like, okay, do a little more challenging hike on Wednesday. So found a hike to take me up to um, some uh, beautiful little lakes up in the mountain, a little over ten thousand feet, where that was really pretty. I uh, had a hard time getting there, but I made it. It was kind of steep, and I was struggling a little bit. Uh, but then I'm feeling good. Thursday, I'm like, hey, I'll do one more. I've, I've got to leave on Friday. I'll do one more, a little bit more challenging hike on Thursday. So I get my backpack on, and and I picked out a hike, and a similar uh, elevation or uh, um, amount of elevation gain on the hike, uh, a little bit more, but again, going up to some lakes. Uh, that'll be pretty, and what I did not pay attention to is this. So the other one, the lakes were at 10,500 feet. This one began at just over 10,000 feet. And it didn't register in my brain that I'm going to be starting a lot higher than I did yesterday. And so I just show up like I did the day before. And I've got my little thing of water and, you know, a little snack. And, and I'm ready to go. And I get there and begin the hike. 
And after just a little bit, as I start to make my way up the mountain, this is what I see. Here's a picture from that height. There was really deep snow on the ground. Okay? And I think it had actually snowed there the night before. It had gotten a ton of rain, and up that high, it probably was fresh snow. And I'm realizing that, one, it's my last day. And so I was totally unprepared for the snow, and I was totally unprepared to quit because this was my last hike. And so I'm just prayed. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm not going to give up unless you tell me to, but I don't want to be stupid, right? So tell me. So I start making my way up there. I got my handy-dandy little all trails app, thankfully, that will kind of point the direction because I couldn't see any trails at all. It was all covered in snow. And it was, you know, either knee-deep with every step or sometimes almost like up to literally waist-deep with some of the steps, just falling through the snow. Two different times, I didn't know it. I was over a stream, fell through down into water, like completely soaked my feet. So this, this was, it was a bit of a beating. It's about three hours plus that I'm just going up the mountain. Haven't gotten to the destination I want yet. I'm exhausted, but at the same time, experiencing the presence of God in just a really cool way. So I'm loving it. I'm having a blast. I'm tired, but just... It was like God's presence was so real. And I get up to where I'm, I can tell it's not too much further up to this lake that I want to get to, but it's straight up what looks like a never-ending hill, and I'm thinking it's getting later in the day, the sun's getting warmer, the snow's getting softer, and it's going to be waist-deep the rest of the way up if I go. So what do I do? I decide, okay, try this one more time. Get a little bit. I, I take a suck of, of my water. Nothing comes out. It's completely dry. And I think, uh-oh, this isn't good. It took me over three hours to get up here. It's going to take me at least two, maybe two and a half to get down because it's going down through the snow, and I have no water. That was a problem. And I, for a split second, I began to panic, and I began to focus on the problem. And then I realized there's snow everywhere. It's not a problem, Right? So what did I do? I decided, number one, it's time to turn around. <laughs> God had spoken. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going back down. And I just munched on snowballs the rest of the way down the mountain, literally. Like just, you know, wipe off the top layer, grab underneath, and eat snow the rest of the way down. And I ate a bunch of snow, and it was good. But, you know, I often think about that, and I just remember it was so tempting to focus on the problem when God's provision was all around me. My question for you today is, what are you focusing on? Are you more concerned with the problem, with the challenge that's in front of you? Are you focused on the fact that God's providing? And are you drinking from what God wants to provide? See, when we get thirsty, there are all kinds of things that taste really good to us. When you're really thirsty, you could drink a bunch of soda and it's going to taste great, but it's actually going to dehydrate you further. The question is, are we taking in, are we drinking in exactly what we need? Are we allowing the Spirit of God to fill us? Because that's what we need more than anything. Let's pray together. Lord, today, I do pray that you will help us to thirst for you. I do pray today, Lord, that we will earnestly seek you. God, that we will um, just prioritize you above everything else. Because, Lord, you are what we need more than anything. And I pray, God, you'd help us to focus all of our attention on you, turning to you. In Jesus' name, amen.